no more past tense, okay? Let's keep it keep it going. We will never die. Let's go. <laughs> Hey, it's Mikey. I'm taking over the podcast now. I have an actual play. Yes, it's mine. All mine. I'm here with the cast and crew of Quantum Kickflip, the best show on podcasts. Um, I am so happy. I just got an advanced uh, screener copy of the season finale um, and... I just finished it today and it's so good. It made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. And um, I'm just super excited. What about you guys? How, how does it feel to be done season one? Oh, incredible. Um, it's one of the biggest creative endeavors I think any of us have have uh, seen through to the end. Not that that's the end. Like we've still got, oh, we have so many exciting plans for the future. <laughs> but like to have hit that milestone really feels like we've we've achieve something and and for me personally as gm like oh god trying to wrap up a story uh it was was uh, a bit of a stressful thing at times of like how am i gonna tie all these threads up and how how am i gonna like make sure to you know honor everything that all these great offers that everyone has put out and and somehow we managed to do it i think i hope i think do do we turn this question into the like the introduction round like who are you and how do you feel about season 1 oh yeah i'm robin i'm the i'm the slugmaster that's me yeah exactly great way to put it yeah I'm yeah. not the slugmaster today, though. I am. I am uh, not running the show. I am slug servient today. What <laughs> a humble slug page. Like <laughs> servient. Yeah. Why, how about everyone introduce themselves um, in order of candy? Uh, wh- whatever candy you are, go based on the standard candy order that we all learned in school. You know, using the rhyme to uh, to, yeah, yeah. to figure it out. Everyone knows the, the the candy order acrostic, so just follow that and introduce yourselves in order of candy. Uh, but still, let's start with Robin since he's um, see, he already started uh, answering a question. Candy, because candy I hadn't in asked the for bag. Introductions who yet. will win and who will drink? Yeah, uh, uh, nougat over here, I guess, because that's the first <laughs> one in the order. So, candy. <laughs> so I'm nougat. Yes, oh. and I also like the first one in the. Uh, uh, acrostic. <laughs> Nougat. Is in. Oh, man. <laughs> you sure are the game master, huh? <laughs> well, I think uh, I'll step in here then because the step up from the Nougat is uh, Mars Bar, I think. Uh, you know, filling it kind of all out, right? Uh, my name is David Ray. I played Chester Capone, the Grit Playbook, and... Uh, yeah, it feels good to be done season one. It's uh, I feel like we more or less stuck the landing. I was happy uh, with how it turned out. And yeah, when you said I played past tense Chester Capone, I got chills. <laughs> it's Oof, over, guys. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's no good. I, I, I don't even want to think about that. So <laughs> no, no more past tense. Okay, let's keep it. Keep it going. We will never die. Let's go. <laughs> uh, well, of course, next you have classic red. Uh, which is applicable across all forms of candy. Um, Strawberry, raspberry, cherry does not matter. It is classic red, and that is me, (laughs) Lena Anderson. Uh, My character was Angus Franklin, the Guts playbook with Skip Mode Runners. Uh, And I had uh, 
such a blast playing my little troublemaker in this delightful story that we all crafted together. <laughs> I'm going to go with Sour Candy next, specifically Sour Patch Kids, because they have an edge to them. They're sour than sweet. <laughs> and they're my favorite. And they're me, I guess. Uh, hi, I'm Glenna Showalter. Uh, my character was Elliot Buchanan, the chill playbook who had the Voidware backpack and was an aspiring singer-songwriter. And I was really excited to try a lot of new things uh, during this season, like recording and singing original songs uh, for the podcast, which was really cool. And just like playing with my friends. And I think I think we did a good job. I think we did a good thing here. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a guy who's a pretty good, big, big fan of eating some marzipan every now and then. You know, mmm. Mm. Mmm, almond-based candy. Yum. <laughs> that is exactly I do actually, how candy I, like I like marzipan a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm Michael Vetch, uh, and I was playing uh, Nick Lowe, the Smarts Playbook, the anime-loving, sword-wielding adventure boy. And, he said it. You know, much like Nick, I like anime, so it was good to just, like, put a bunch of dumb anime weeb shit into a show and, <laughs> and get away with it. <laughs> We're going to talk about that anime. Woo! So that's <laughs> Okay, I think that leaves... Uh, yeah, that's, that's me. And then obviously the top tier candy, as both myself and Lake will attest, it's it's licorice. I'm licorice. Black <laughs> or red licorice? Uh, both. Both are good. People who don't okay. like black licorice need to expand their horizons, but, you know, no shade on red. <laughs> uh, yeah, I played Lake Marsden. Uh, she's the heart playbook. And yeah, I, I just really, like, when you ask about, you know, how he felt about the season... The microphone that I have recorded every episode of Quantum Kickflip on, I bought almost a decade ago when I was uh, an aspiring stand-up comedian and a very early adopter of podcasts. And I was like, I'm definitely going to make a podcast. I'm a podcast. <laughs> but I always knew you really, there's no point trying to make one and then put it out. You got to get like a couple in the can. You got to release consistently. You can't just like, it can't be some fly-by-night hobby that I give up later or it's going to look stupid. It'll forever have three episodes of the Liam show on the internet <laughs> and that's no good to everyone. So I just am so grateful that I, I we've got to record so many of these and that we have kept at it and it was consistent. And it turns out the trick was you just had to find some friends to do all the hard parts in the production room <laughs> for you and you can just show up and be hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that I, I this microphone I bought over a decade ago finally gets some use because it was intended to podcast with. So amazing! I'm glad we all stuck to that classic candy acrostic of numkerspukmol that we all learned in school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm Mikey Ham, and I'm just a bedraggled employee of the Wilkie's Candy Lab, and so I don't like eating candy, even though I have a corporate obligation to eat it at all times. So, <laughs> I'm feeling great. Um, but I am super happy. Uh, Robin asked me if I would hijack the podcast to ask you guys some questions, and I'm very excited to do that, because I have lots of questions. Also I also asked... Oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I'm wondering, I think the only times we've had you on before have been on our, our bonus content over on uh, Quantum Kickflip on, on Patreon, you know. But uh, you, you That's after right. all, are, are the creator of Slug Blaster, this game that we have played for a, a 36-episode season. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We should probably yes. mention that. Mikey That's made the game. <laughs> release Release pending, I did create this game. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, so I have lots of questions. A lot of times I'm pestering you guys with playtest questions because you guys are my main playtest group. Um, but 
uh, now I get to ask you the other kinds of questions, the fan questions, and I'm very happy to not even have to think about game mechanics or any of that during this <laughs> this interview because I get to ask all my fun fan questions. I also asked um, some people on the Discord to put in questions, and a few people did, so I'm going to ask some questions from them too. My first question, though, is I know you guys are all gamers, Um and we're gamers before. You guys also obviously are um, sketch writers and comedians in various ways, and have improv and acting backgrounds. And all you know, all you're all just some beautiful little artsy um, gem bodies. But um, <laughs> I, I know you guys have gamed before, mostly playing D and D, um, a few other games. And I know you played a campaign of Slug Blaster before this podcast. So what's What's the difference between normal gaming and gaming for an actual play? Liam, you uh, you sort of were asking me on the chat um, saying that like the business of making an actual play was like so new to, to you and, and everyone. Do you want to do you want to take this one first? Uh, sure, though, as I sort of joked earlier, I definitely uh, do the least on the production <laughs> end of things. But I'm sure you know the difference, like what it's like to play in a like non-recorded game versus a recorded one. Yes, I think honestly, the big one is that we there is absolutely no doubt that we are all working towards the same goal. We are all mm. trying to like, because we are, you know, theater kids, we're trying to put on the best possible show. Sometimes with that, you know, we get into in our own heads about it, um, but we are communally working towards the same goal. Whereas sometimes in a game of D&D, you've got a player with main character syndrome or you've got um, uh, a, just a player who doesn't want to show up on time. Um, yeah. Or you've got uh, um, people who are kind of like trying to push their own style or like a rules nerd meets a real RPG lover yeah or like role play lover right or, or you get bored and decide to kill the mayor and you know yeah there's no like yeah. there's no murder murder hoboing stuff so in terms of other ttrpgs uh, i think the big difference is like it's it's got that thrust of wanting to put on a show um yeah. driving every decision we make sometimes for worse but usually almost always for the better well i it i think completely for the better it it's it's incredible like you guys you can tell you guys are you're fully you're working together like perfectly it, it, it it's amazing so i'm gonna ask some questions later about your history as a crew together but but that makes a lot of sense right off the bat what about anyone else have like interesting differences between gaming off mic and gaming for this purpose yeah um i think sort of tagging off part of what liam was saying in terms of the narrative focus uh, saying that a lot of us do come from that sort of improv background being at the table doing an RPG session just with friends and stuff, you're not necessarily always thinking of what is this, the narrative of this arc we're looking at right here. Whereas like when we're recording, it's like, okay, we've got a couple episodes and we want to have a, a nice satisfying story over these two sessions that we're recording. Whereas like in a game, you never know what thing's going to come up just at the table and you'll go off and maybe there's a, an overarching big narrative that, that a GM is putting forward for you, but you're not necessarily thinking like, okay, and this is this is the chapter where my character is really gonna gonna face some adversity and and fall to a low point, and then and the next time we'll see how that's blending in with the rest of the party and where they're at, and it is gonna influence someone in that way. Uh, there, there's definitely a little more, not not compartmentalization, but l looking at it more in in the present and seeing what the narrative is happening right now. I think the pacing is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a much more succinct and better way to say it than what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, that um, sort of 
flows into something one of the listeners was asking. Um, Esker was asking, how much do you guys um, workshop scenes, especially the downtime scenes, um, sort of like off mic before you... Like, I guess this would be like at the table editing, I guess we could call it. Like, how much of that is happening? Um, I'm, I mean... Some of that happens just during a normal session. People do like recuts or, oh, actually, can I change this or whatever? But I'm assuming there's going to be more when you're putting on something this complex and with this much production value. There's actually a, a really cool thing that we only adopted about halfway through the run of the of the season that Dave came up with. I don't know. Dave, do you want to speak to or like, do, do you remember the thing I'm talking about with, in, with regards yes. to downtime scenes? And do you want to speak to that? Yeah, because I, I was kind of uh, thinking about how it was coming across as a listener uh, when we were doing downtime scenes. Like, we used to do the thing where, oh, this is the scene we want to do, and then we would play out that scene. And I, I kind of thought that that kind of, uh, kind of spoiled it to a certain degree, because yeah. uh, you, you know where it was going. It was yeah, anticlimactic. Yeah. So instead, uh, what I what we would do is, uh, you know, suggested that like, oh, Chester wants to do this scene with Graham Capone, and uh, it's going to be this element. It's going to be this scene from the playbook, and then then we start kind of recording it, and we play out the scene. My partner knows where I'm going with it. And then at the end of it, we kind of say, that was this scene. And yeah. that way, it's for, for a listener, it's like you, you, you have no yeah. idea what's happening. So you got to participate as opposed to knowing how it's going to end. Yeah. And I noticed you guys um, started doing that. And I, I loved it because it, it reminded me like I, I have to write some examples of play um, for the book. And, uh, and when I write them, they're really fun to write. But when you write them, what I try to do is in the first few instances, I, I spell out every single thing that's happening, like such and such player picks up the dice and rolls them and takes this number. But once you've demonstrated that a few times, you can skip over that stuff and just mm -hmm. have them say, I got a six, right? And the same way I feel like you guys did, like the in the first few episodes, you guys really sort of lay out and like help the learning curve by like showing how the game's working. But then there's this point where it flips and it's just the mechanics start getting... Um, start bubbling more under the surface. I thought that was really smart. When you said, and then we launch into the scene and my scene partner knows where I'm going with it. Do you mean because you guys discuss it beforehand and like you, you were like, Hey, I'm going to do this. And I want you to, I, I want you to respond. Um, come at me kind of hard in this scene. Um, like that kind of stuff. Or do you just sort of feel it out? Well, it was like, um, oh, I forget what the, the, the name of them are called, but, uh, you know, and you look at the downtime scenes, uh, it tells you exactly, it has all those prompts yeah. to it. It's like, yeah. so since they know what scene we are going to be doing, they know how to play into it. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And, and so that, that way, when we are uh, playing the scene out for the recording, it feels like a natural scene, but we both know where we're, as actors, we know where we're going. Um, okay. And then for the audience's sake, they don't. They, they got to participate. They got to be surprised yeah. or whatever. I think it was like kind of improv rules where like you're trying to give as little guidance as possible before. It. Like you don't want to pre-plan too much because you'll get in your head and it becomes a scripted thing. But like the the 
downtime scene becomes the improv prompt of like, okay, this, yeah. we both know that this is what we're trying to incorporate. We're both trying to do this type of scene. And then occasionally it'd be like one or two more pieces of guidance of like, oh, I was thinking maybe this, like we could, we could come at it from this angle and then, you know, trying to keep it to a minimum though, because again, you want the scene to play out naturally and feel, feel natural. Cause that's the whole point of an actual play is to like, you're, you're seeing the game played in real time. Wow. I was going to say, yeah, there's actually very little, like you've got your prompt and you know enough about your character and the character you're bouncing off of. We never really needed more than that. And I think as a result, often a lot of things would happen in downtime scenes that probably even came as a surprise to the person doing the scene. Um, which is always my favorite thing is in the world as an yeah. improviser is when someone's like, here's something you never even thought of. And I'm like, that makes it so much better. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That happened a lot. You get to have some, some real time discoveries of things. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's magical. Um, yeah. I, I know that feeling too. Um, but, but it's also just magic. You know, when uh, they say, you know, like, don't, you don't want to see the sausage getting made, but then like you go to the sausage factory and it's just like, it's even more, it makes you like sausage even more. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's what you guys just did to me. Like that, that's, that's really quite amazing. And I don't think I'm the only one who would think that because Esker in a sort of a second point to his question said, like, if you didn't workshop these scenes, what about your process enabled y'all to match up those beats so well? I mean, I think you just sort of, you, you answered that a bit and just that you guys are, improvisers and you in you know you believe in the power of improv so you just go in with curiosity but is there with other other things that maybe like are could be even teachable and not just <laughs> based on like hard-earned experience that could like help people play out those downtime scenes um as powerfully as as you guys have been doing it probably helps that a lot of us have been performing together for years and years yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of shared like narrative language and we sort of know yeah. the, the type of the type of plays different people will Rhythms. make and yeah. that not necessarily just because we've performed together for a long time i think a lot of that sort of parlance and the the easy communication can come up in just like playing a game with like close friends like people that you know you can you can sort of understand the the type of moves other people will make based on like the things you've experienced together and, and the way you talk in, in every day as well. I think especially in the the downtime scenes, um, it helps that it's often one person playing, you know, a player character, and then the other person in the scene is uh, uh, another player at the table, but they're specifically playing an NPC who's there to further the narrative of the character. So mm -hmm. the, your your scene partner knows going in, I all I need to do is is like support what you're doing and all I need to do is feed into your arc and give you what you need most or or you know give you what's going yeah. to be the biggest conflict for like give you the last thing you need but like it's yeah. you, where when you've got two PC like two characters in a scene sometimes you have competing interests and that can get messy in those downtime scenes it just clicks because it's like, oh, I'm literally only here to make your story work and to make you look good. So I can do everything I do is in service of yeah. of my scene partner kind of thing. No, and th that's great. And I I mean, I've said before, I think we talked about it on another, on maybe one of those um, Patreon, Patreon episodes. episodes yeah. But just um, that that thing you guys do of, of casting the families, um, each other's families, that was so smart and just really, really cool. 
And um, I, I know for a fact that that's one of those things that informed the writing of the book for me. I, I'm, I hope I put that in the book because I, I, I plan to, I'm going to go look right after this, but yeah, that's one of things that now that's like canon of like, I, I don't think I make it an explicit rule, but I make it like a strong suggestion because that's just so, um, yeah, it makes so much sense. Uh, yeah. Glenna, do you have any thoughts on the same thing? Like Im- improvising scenes and working with your fellow players? Well, something that was interesting that we did do, and I, I think this is like someone could do this in their home campaign too, but this is also part of being part of a show, is that uh, when we had to divulge plot information, Robin would text us. He would let us know what the plot was, and then we would be able to bring it up naturally in the scene. Yes. Um, I had to do that as Graham Capone, and I also had to do that as Nick's mom. Right. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. That's so obvious now that you say it, because like I know how role-playing games work. But you guys just pull it off with so much grace that I I think I just didn't even I couldn't see the seams like that. Mm. That I totally should be. I mean, I mean, I'm a <laughs> I'm a game master. I like I know I know how these games work. I know that that player wouldn't have that information. But yeah, you guys pulled it off really good because I never even thought about that. That's amazing. Um, there was a thing in the finale, the uh, explanation of what really happened to Nick's dad. Uh, I had been prepared to deliver as Tristan Voss and it ended up not not coming out in, in any of those scenes. So the wall of text I had to send to Glenna being like, here's all of the exposition, <laughs> here is all the backstory of like what happened there. I felt so bad being like, oh, we're going into downtime? Okay, uh, I got to send you a thing real quick. It's, it's several pages, sorry. <laughs> okay, you know what? I didn't notice Glenna having to deliver that, but I'll tell you what I did notice because I've been a GM too long. I noticed you playing Tristan Voss just <laughs> silently begging those characters to ask you questions. And instead, they were just being little teenage brats about it. And I was like, I can tell that he wants to give the dump, but he doesn't. That's the <laughs> thing, though. That can't. was my, my mistake as a GM was being like, oh, they'll obviously just ask what I want them to ask so that I can tell them what I want to tell them <laughs> no. because that's what makes sense for the story I'm telling in my head. And meanwhile, Mike yeah. is like, that doesn't make sense for Nick at all as a character. He's not going to yeah. humor your bullshit. He it doesn't just care. One of, those, one of those things where like, we just got through all this trouble to break into the facility, cut her from the time stream. Don't really want to have a chat with her at this point. Exactly, yeah. no. And I should have anticipated so that, but I was just like, well, I, you I, you thought it would be more sophisticated to not do the villain monologue and instead have them pull the information from you, which was, a, I think, a worthy risk to take. But it just, you know, it's a risk, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Liam, do you have anything to say about the process of improvising and workshopping stuff and like how much happens at the table? No, I think we found a nice mix and then also... Lena finds a lot of it in the edit, uh, Lena and Robin and, and everyone involved in the editing process. Um, yeah. So you that's see- why you don't see the seam sometimes. Um, yeah. cause a, a lot go, I don't want to like give away your secret, but a lot does go into the edit. These, yeah. you know, if you think the episodes are long, you should hear the recording. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you see- well, you see Robin, see, that's how you do it. Because my very next question was about editing and I set Liam up to lead us right there. So, you know, I didn't even see the scene. Rolled a six on that segue. Ooh. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, one of the listeners 
I think said it best. Uh, Alan Riley Scott said, I definitely like to hear more about the editing process. To me, that's definitely one of the things that makes Quantum Kickflip stand out over other actual play podcasts. And I, Mikey, would agree as someone who has done editing for a living at times. Um, I really admire the editing of this podcast. I think it's so good. And it's also very hard to do. And I know it's one of those things that if you're doing it right, it doesn't get noticed by anyone except the people like me and Alan Riley Scott. So I, but I just want to say I noticed Lena and it's really good. Um, yeah. Tell me about the editing. Tell me how long your, your normal sessions are before you get them down. I, I'm assuming that you guys don't fake the like, like every episode is one like session, right? Or do you ever like sort of cram like a second round of introductions into one session or something? So we never record multiple episodes in one session. If anything, sometimes I come to the group and I'm like, hey, before we start the session today, we all need to do a round of intros so I can plug it into our last recording because that one's going to be a (laughs) (laughs) two-parter. Okay. So yeah, how how long, like, what are you shrinking this down from? Um, (laughs) uh, depending on the episode, if it's a shorter one, they usually clock in at about uh between 2:15 and 2 and a half hours uh the ones that i wrangle to be about the hour 50 mark or like closer to the 2 hour mark those are the ones that tend to push 3 hours uh the finale okay. i think was four and a half, and i i brought it down to 3 so you're cutting you're cutting like 25 to 30% that's Roughly. great yeah that's amazing and to be um, fair there's like a lot of you know we, we have our clap in at the beginning and yeah. sometimes we have out of character discussions before the scenes. The downtime sure. tends to edit down quite a bit because, you know, we don't stop recording yep. to talk about it. We just talk about it. And then I do a little snap so that I can see it in my track where we yeah. pick up the scene. So my first pass of any given episode, I listen to it at double speed and anything that's like, Oh, this is us talking out of character. This is this is absolutely definitely not going out of the episode. That's all the stuff that gets pulled first. And yeah. that tends to right away bring things down a little bit. Yeah, that's right. That first pass is usually pretty easy, but mm-hmm. then it gets then it starts getting harder and yeah, and I know you I know you work some magic sometimes. Um <laughs> But yeah, um, any tricks, any advice you would give to someone if they're editing, if they're starting an actual play about when it comes to editing? Ooh. Um, I know editing is kind of a feel thing a lot of times, but but I'm sure you have something. It, it is a lot of the time for sure. And um, I, I cut my teeth on this podcast. Um, it might show uh, it was a learning curve for sure. I've learned a lot and I've improved a lot and I probably still have further to go with with just learning how to edit sound down. No, you're doing great. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I'm awesome. blushing. Do you ever do the thing where you where you have to like actually go and like steal one word from a sentence someone else someone said and then like copy it to just get that <laughs> one? I have I, to do that a lot when I edit my like videos, but maybe that's just because they're like they're like three and a half minutes, so like every single ah, syllable counts a lot. <laughs> that's fair. But, I never really like 
pull stuff from other places like not single words yeah. like that like sometimes I'll move the scenes around or move the beats around if I'm like oh I feel like this would fit better later on or stuff like that um downtime scenes I've been known to shuffle sometimes they're not in the order that we record them in and and those cool. types of little movements are really easy to do yeah what about like just like little mistakes like how much how much how much how dirty do you leave it like as far as like like if someone just messed up a word as i have many times <laughs> during this interview would you like fix that for them or or do you do you leave some of those in just to like add to the like reality of of the listening experience may i actually answer this one and point out how often i was allowed to conflate dice and die on record okay <laughs> <laughs> in your defense that that is those are the stupidest words ever so it should all be dice dice that's in 15 years the language will have changed language is descriptive not prescriptive you're fine liam you're just ahead of the curve okay so. <laughs> sometimes things come stay in because uh it's funny um, <laughs> yeah and sometimes it comes in because it's like well i've tried cutting this a few different ways and it's not gonna happen seamlessly yeah uh, exactly. i i think i do clean things up quite a bit Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the ums go out, the pauses get shrunk down. If yeah. there is some stammering, cause like my final pass is just listening to everything normal speed. And I, I'm pretty ruthless cause I know that we, we produce a pretty long podcast right. and I'm always yeah. concerned. I always just want to make sure that like, I, I get it down to the time that we need. Um, so sometimes those moments of like stammering or, T trying to find how you're going to say something and you kind of end up saying it a couple different ways. Sometimes those reiterations will be pulled out and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I tend to, I tend to do quite a bit. Uh, if, if I were to give any sort of like advice to someone trying it, trying this out for the first time later in the editing process, another thing that I did was I would just go to the beginning and end of whenever someone would talk and just like, finesse the end of one person going into the other person because yeah. especially when you do this on discord there's lag there's people talking at the same time and stuff like that there's there's gaps there and that's usually where you're going to shrink the most of your time so doing what i call a tops and tails pass is a way to feel like you're working really quickly and cutting out a lot of time yes uh and then my other biggest biggest piece of advice is really do your research on how filter curves and compressions work oh wow yeah. One of these days I might uh, release remasters of some of the older episodes because I learned my shit partway through and I was like, ah, nuts. I wish I had learned this earlier. Yeah. So. That's like like cutting out low frequencies and that kind of stuff. Exactly. And, which frequencies do you cut? Yeah. Which ones yeah. do you boost by how much? Um, the yeah. littlest thing can really change your audio in big ways. Um, so read read those articles look up those uh youtube tutorials and just like really get a sense of what you're changing with those filter curves yeah well let's let's do an example right here like while i'm talking right now lena is now removing the um low pass filter off my voice and you can see how much worse it sounds but now they're putting it back on and you can see that it sounds good again and now they're actually turning it up so I sound really good, better than I do in real life. And now they're actually putting a new effect on my voice that I don't even know about, and I probably sound pretty silly. <laughs> the power of editing. Hello, friends.
friends, it's me, normal, regular Robin, not the Slugmaster this time, but still here to thank you for listening and to implore you to recommend us to friends and leave us nice ratings and reviews on any podcast apps you may cross paths with. Uh, we're going to be starting our second season very soon, so now is a perfect time for new listeners to get on board. They can listen to the entire first season start to finish, or they can jump right into new stuff. Without giving too much away, we're going to try to make season two in such a way that new listeners can pick it up easily and not need any prior knowledge whatsoever or any backstory of any kind. Uh, we are at Quantum Kickflip on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow us for new episode updates, memes, audiograms, and much more. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Patreon, where for just five bucks a month, you get early access to every new episode of Quantum Kickflip, as well as bi-weekly bonus content. Every other Monday, you get a whole extra thing from us, whether it's an interview, a bonus episode, some exclusive music. If you're not on the Patreon, you are missing out on a whole world of QK content. I'd also like to thank our sponsors at the Alberta Media Arts Alliance Society, whose goal is to advocate, educate, and celebrate the media arts in Alberta. Check them out at amaas.ca. And finally, we are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, who have a ton of amazing locally made shows over at albertapodcastnetwork.com. We release Quantum Kickflip bi-weekly, so provided the Edmonton Fringe doesn't completely kick our asses and derail all of our plans, our next update will be on Wednesday, August 31st. And we're not quite ready to dive into Season 2 just yet, but we've got a very fun interstitial plan that I think you're all going to really love. And speaking of Season 2, stay tuned for a big update about that in the second half of this very episode that you're currently listening to. It'll be coming up very soon, but first I am contractually obligated to throw it over to Wilkie the Candyman, CEO of Wilkie's Candy Labs, for a few quick words from our sponsors. Do you like lollies, my dear? Do you seek the sweet shelter of my candy kingdom? Do you long for the calming surrender that comes from being imprisoned inside a Castle Wilkie's enjoyment capsule, plugged into my experimental wonder machine? But what of your sound yummers? Surely your ears too salivate for sucrose morsels? This episode of Quantum Kickflip is brought to you by Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Overdue Finds. Overdue Finds is an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. This episode of Quantum Kickflip is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings and hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Hmm, yes. When you run a multiversal confectionery, you understand the duty of worker care all too well. It is of human desire to diligently drill your denticles, no? And attend to your intestinal congregation? 
My workers are cleansed of shame and ineptitude with a racing hourly spray of flavorful syrups, and when their shift ends 72 hours later, they are stripped of their human work uniforms and inserted lovingly into a company-issued recuperation cell, where they are soothed and pampered ceaselessly despite their screams. A healthy worker is a happy worker, and all my workers must remain very, very happy. Here's a question. Um, I know it's a slog to get listeners to a podcast. Like that's obviously hard for any podcast. What have you found has been the most, I don't even want to say successful, but what's what's the most rewarding kind of marketing that you guys have tried? Um, and and you can that can be rewarding in whatever way, whether that's actually getting listeners or just fun or getting different kinds of engagement or whatever. Like what are some of the things that worked really well? I mean, Michael makes these fantastic audiograms for the show. Michael, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I, uh, Rob and Alina do a fantastic job of sort of like editing and selecting clips that really highlight, I think, a lot of the spirit that goes into the show. And then I, I get the fun job of of putting up words and dumb visuals that go around it. And <laughs> I, 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 it's it's always a joy for me to get to do them because I've, weirdly, I've got a, an odd sense of like, not quite written humor, but just like so often I'll just like drop something in a text chat that's like it's a weird group of emojis or it's a it's like a description <laughs> of an action in square brackets. And like th- yeah. this this the audiogram gives me a medium where I can actually do that stuff and it yes. makes me laugh. So that's that's what I like about it. <laughs> oh, the number awesome. of times I've lost my shit to just the way you described a background noise that like someone made a snort or a <laughs> said half a word and then stopped and the way you've captured it in text just slays me yeah <laughs> that's great and and dave i know you make these amazing memes mm-hmm. um that's got to be that's got to be fun uh yeah yeah it was it, it was uh trying to look at all the formats and like how can i get this in here it, yeah it's it, yeah. it is a lot of work and then after a while i'm like i've already used that format i don't know if i can <laughs> Right, and there's only so many memes out there. It's not like they keep being made every day or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> well. I'd, I also have a very limited thing. Like, I would love to do things where, like, I splice the uh, you know characters picture on top of some of these the established yeah. memes. But I'm just like, I don't have the the resources t- to do that. Yeah, but, you uh, just use like the online meme generator yeah. where you type in. Yeah, you're not like in Photoshop messing around. Uh, here's here's how um how uncool I am. It it wasn't until honestly last month that I realized that you could make memes by just going to a website and typing things in, and that's how everyone was doing it. Yes, I yeah. assumed <laughs> people were doing this in Photoshop or something, and in fact, anytime I had ever made a meme. I was doing it in Photoshop like some 60-year-old man. I, 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 I was like, this is the weirdest thing. This is like the equivalent of, for a millennial, this is the equivalent of like a boomer typing in like google.com into the Google like search window or whatever. It's <laughs> like, by like, oh, I'm going to make a meme. I'll just open up Photoshop. I'll just load this picture in here and I'll just get the text <laughs> box. Like, well, I, I, I think a better way of looking at it, it it's, it's like you're, uh, you're like an old timey craftsman, <laughs> like a cobbler. Yeah. 
I do it the traditional way because the traditional way is better. It's yeah. worked for thousands of years. Rustic artisan the memes, memes just sound warmer when they're analog. <laughs> the memes are warmer. <laughs> you can really feel the text boxes. Yeah. Appreciate the fine hand carved grain on this this JPEG. <laughs> Oh, man, this is dumb. <laughs> I want to know, I mean, I've, I'm a, I'm a patron of yours, so I hear, um, I get to hear the outtakes. So I know some of the stuff that's left on the cutting room floor, as far as like the funny stuff, the, the gaffes and the bloopers. But I want to know what's left on the cutting room floor, not just literally, but what kinds of things did you guys not get a chance to to explore that you wanted to something about your character you want to reveal but it just never came up something in the game itself you wanted to use that you never did um or robin maybe like a npc or monster or something you want to use what what were you know let's bring out your dead here what, what were some things that just didn't make it in that you wish people knew about Robin, are you ready to go? You, I think you. I, I have one. so many. So if other people want yeah. to go first, I, I can always bring it home. But also, if people need time, I can I can start us off. <laughs> okay, well, why don't you bookend it for us? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I'll save I'll save one for the very end that I, I I'm excited about. Uh, yeah, so many things. Um, the the time you guys busted into uh, the rescue facility to recover your signature devices. Uh, Jet Collective were in the holding cells, and I was convinced y'all would would go and see who was in those holding cells. Uh, and you were gonna meet Jet Collective like a whole run or two early, and also Butcher. It was gonna be a point break, and Butcher was a uh, 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 drow agent uh, who was like undercover <gasps> on their slug blaster crew, uh, and he was gonna like sell everyone out. But then you just never went to the holding cells and did not look there at all. Um, and by the time they came back around, I was like. Well, the point break thing doesn't make sense anymore. I guess Butcher's just like part of the crew now. He's just a regular guy. And then I saved it for the whole season until the end and was like, just kidding. He is an asshole and he does sell you out. <laughs> so I was happy that I, it was, I guess it's like something that got cut, but I got to bring it full circle. So it all worked out for me. That's your Zelda dungeon that made it into the next game. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I wrote like three extra songs. Wow. There was one uh, that Lena actually referenced when they were playing Elliot's mom. About yeah. lying on the floor, yeah. The one about lying on the floor. I was like, wait, are you Weezer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that one uh, was actually based on a poem I wrote in high school. Uh, and it's very emo and moody. And oh, I'm so like, good. I kept waiting for the perfect opportunity to bring it up, and it just never made it in, which was too bad. Elliot was too chill to sing your depressing <laughs> song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, I think because this was originally behind the uh, the pay behind the paywall, um, I I don't think uh, on the main feed I ever revealed the naming convention yes. for the Marsden family. Well, oh, this yeah. this will be on the main feed, right? Yeah, the yes. interview. So here, okay, here well, you go. Like, this do is, it now because this is one of my favorite things. This is the this is the peak content you're sleeping on if you're not subscribed to the Patreon. Content. <laughs> so uh, the the Marsden children are named uh, Camry is the eldest, followed by Abby, spelled A B B E Y, followed by Lake. Her younger sister, uh, Symphony, and then her uh, youngest sibling, uh, Little Little Hammock, 
Um, and each of the children are named after the place where they were conceived. <laughs> so in in the back of a Camry, um, oh I'll leave, the rest leave to imagination. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, I've got head cannon for what each of those mean and which Marsden child has figured it out, <laughs> not Lake. But uh, yeah, that's that's the, uh, the name of Camry. And the long lost uh, sibling Coachella, who shows up next season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm hashtag team symphony, obviously. Um, no. I've already, I've said many times on the Discord that I want a spin-off series that's kind of like Game of Thrones, but in high school that stars symphony, who I imagine is being a very Cersei um, type um, <laughs> person based just on her name alone. Um, yeah, you didn't get, that didn't come up in the main feed, no. huh? Wow, amazing. There you go. Um, yeah, and anyone else? I, I feel like I got to reveal... All the stuff that I had thought about, uh, like I, I liked revealing that uh, Chester, where his softness comes from, because it does—it's not really evident in necessarily Graham Capone or or his dad necessarily. But it was like, oh, it's all from his mom, and then, well, how does that come through? And it's like Enya, uh, <laughs> yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff was. Uh, a part of it and yeah. um for my abilities i here's the thing i feel like i kept neglecting one of my abilities the entire game uh which <laughs> is my ablatine plates on my power armor which you can just roll to absorb damage i never ro i never did that you i didn't never do that once <laughs> yeah i know and that's like the whole thing i just like oh i'm just going to take the slam just use the word yeah. ablatine for flavor then <laughs> Yeah, well, that's all I ever use it for. And then I was like, it was like the last session or something like that. I'm like, wait, roll to a ro absorb damage. I could have used this so many times. Well, um, and Lena, um, can you bleep out the word mechanics when I say it here? Because I don't want to talk about right now. But okay. I mean, to be fair, you weren't incentivized to even remember your Abilene plates because you're playing the grip playbook who also gets style when they take a slam so yeah so i don't fair. i don't really fault you also i've i've rewritten that that able team plates ability like five times so don't worry <laughs> about it um <laughs> okay robin give me your uh give me the bookend here what, what else did you yeah did you have the, sitting well, the, in the cabinet the big one that i never got to do i was looking back at my planning doc in preparation for this interview and like a lot of the very first page where I was like, here's some general ideas about maybe where it could go. Maybe there's a crew that they like look up to and they kind of act as a mentor and then maybe they get a sponsorship and that like drives a wedge between the crew and they become more rivals. And like a lot of that stuff was like, oh yeah, that, that actually ended up happening. Like I kind of predicted some of this stuff with like where it was going to go with Miper and things like that. And a lot of it changed, but the big one was, uh, I was like, yeah, and then maybe at the end, like once they've uncovered all this Arborist stuff, they'll, they'll, you know, go through that untethering process, and then a cool way to end on a big cliffhanger is maybe some of them get, like, blasted off into another dimension, and because they're untethered, they they can't find their way back. And then yeah. a future season could be them trying to, like, find their way home, or the ones from Null trying to find the ones that got blasted away, or something like that. Uh, and then yep. not goddamn one of you took me up on that untethering. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess we're gonna have a happy ending where they all achieve their goals and stay a crew together in Null. No. no. <laughs> That's great. I mean, there there are there are lots of things that I heard you guys do in the podcast that I then went and immediately wrote into the document. Um, I think starting with the very first episode where 
Liam said that Lake was eating a panic breakfast cereal. That is now in the game officially. Uh, they're called Delirios. They use CRISPR technology, and oh they're they're in there. So, um, but that's yeah, amazing. like that's great, Robin. I I was gonna say I I have one of the peelback like disaster ideas that I list in the book is like a peelback accident where instead of peeling back home, you get like flung out into the into the multiverse and that i was thinking that exact same thing or like you get swapped with an alternate i did this in one campaign i ran for my first play test group where one of the people got like swapped during a peelback accident with like an alternate them from a another like dimension off the like the continent as i call it um Hmm. or whatever so then the remaining group had to help that alternate of them get back home where they presumed the original one was. And so it like, (laughs) it was cool because you can do both. You can fling someone away, but you don't actually have to split the party. And like you can, because there's this alternate version of them right there and they get that fun fun. playing with someone with like, you know, different colored eyes or talks weird or whatever, but that's brilliant. Yeah, no, that's cool. That would have been great. Uh, I actually wanted to ask about Chester specifically, because mm-hmm. he's a he's a weird duck, and I really like him. Sure. Where was there a point? Like, what did you want to explore with him going in? And like, w- and was there a point where he sort of clicked, like who he was, kind of clicked with you in the campaign? Like, where you're like, okay, yeah, now I got him. Or did you sort of did you sort of have him basically formed, like the voice and everything, right from when you started? It fell into place pretty quickly, I, I think, because I, I just kind of followed a natural line of progression in my in my process. I think everybody else chose their playbooks first, and I I, I was like, oh, I'll just take whatever's left over. And then when I got the grit playbook, I was like, well, okay, so he's tough. He can take a lot of hits. And then I started immediately thinking of like Rocky, who like famously takes a lot of hits, and then. Chester Capone comes from Sylvester Stallone. Uh, and, and then I was like, okay, so he's maybe not the, the brightest guy. And he he's really good at fighting. But I always like characters with hearts of gold. Like, the, that's yeah. that's where I, I lean and, towards. And you like playing dum-dums, too. Like I love <laughs> me some dum-dums. Yeah. Be- and so it yeah. was cool for me, because I've seen your, your sketch stuff, and I've seen some of these characters you do. It was cool to see you play, like, a type that you're really good at, and then combine it with this, like, bruiser type yeah. and it's and it worked perfectly like it was it was really cool now this is the way dave tells it is that he thought of the grit and thought of tough people and got to rocky i maintain that he <laughs> read the grit playbook and went grit gritty gritty philadelphia <laughs> philadelphia. philadelphia rocky <laughs> chester yeah. capone yeah, that's, that's dave right. swears that's it's right. not true but i i know the truth <laughs> the, the philly stuff is my favorite especially because i think there's someone from philly on our discord server and yeah. they're dying they're dying <laughs> D- dying because it's great they love it but they're dying oh yeah yeah because i'm i only know like you know, three different things about Philadelphia. Yeah, no, that's the, yeah. that, like you've reduced it to its <laughs> tourist destinations. Plus, you're doing the most Albertan accent possible. 
and, <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the thing was, I was going to attempt a Philadelphian uh, accent, and then I was like, I cannot maintain this. I like it's yeah, so exactly. inconsistent. So I'm just like, I'll just go with my dum dum voice. That's yes. fine. Telling that a dum dum voice is the most Albertan accent possible. Really <laughs> oh, for sure, bud. Yeah. <laughs> go to buddies oh, here. Rip, okay. Bud. <laughs> Um, Michael, I want, I got to ask you about those katana forms, um, which are obviously the best thing in the show. No offense to everyone else. But Understandable. Understandable. I want to know the inspiration. I want to know how, like how you write them. I want to know if there are any that you came up with that didn't make it into the episode. I want to know everything. Yeah. At this point, I think I used every single one I came up with. Uh, towards the end, even they were just like, "Oh, I know what move I want to do, but I don't have a a name for it yet." So I had to like on the spot be like, "What's the alternate form of this one?" <laughs> is there is there actually like a logic to the way those like work? Like, do you have like a is there like some sort of tr- like tech tree that you've designed with like <laughs> the way it works, or or do you, are you doing like like what I do when I write Slug Blaster, which is just like perfectly crafted word salads like like. (laughs) it's probably a little more toward that side uh yeah one of the biggest things of course for it um i was drawing inspiration from uh, the anime demon slayer uh in which Mm -hmm. a a lot of the different uh the the demon slayers uh have different breathing styles that they channel into katanas the the main character tanjiro has his he's all about the the water breathing so he does a lot of like Oh, water breathing form something form form three form five, and they have different sort of cool. movements and balances based off that. Yeah. Uh, so I took that basic sort of framework, and I was like, okay, what are the different mega uh, friction sword power ups, and sort of <laughs> figuring out which ones I can pull from that. It it also then became very fun to be like, okay, using this one on the sword is is form eight, but using yeah. that in conjunction with something from the Rift Ninjas is is now form five for a different reason and stuff yes. like that. Mm-hmm. That's great. But there's also just dumb shit where like, oh, uh, sixth form is going to be astral assassination because the number six is kind of like, ooh, evil. Well, and also your, your anime voice is perfect. I don't know what that voice like what the word for that voice is or like what school of acting all those american (laughs) actors that dubbed anime um went to but like you channeled it perfectly it's like a weird almost like you know the transatlantic accent doesn't actually exist it's just Mm -hmm. like an acting thing i feel like i feel like that's what like anime dubs like sound like and you like channeled it perfectly <laughs> there's a very distinct school in in like shonen dubbing where like i think a lot of it just comes from uh, when the people are being coached in that sort of setting there's a, a lot of trying to match the intonation of of japanese vocal lines as opposed to yeah. okay what sort of choices are you making with with your english lines right now but how can yes. you make it follow the same curve as well as not as prevalent anymore, but like matching lip flaps and stuff. Lips, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But a, a lot of it is just like, how can you match the the general sound curve that came from the yes. Japanese recording we're basing this off of? Yeah, match the vibes, change the language. Yeah, well, you did it great. Oh, are, Thank you. Is the anime you... Because I'm, I'm not... I know a little anime, but not not much. But is, are the anime titles you drop in in the episodes... 
are those real or are they alt um alt earth animes that you came up uh, with in terms of stuff that i reference uh there are a couple that i made up and then a couple that like i know i've mentioned like dragon ball or, or one piece as things yeah. that like are, are yes. have been long running series and it's like okay the, thematically time wise this still works but a lot of the animes that get mentioned are are Liam's handiwork in terms of uh, <laughs> yeah. the Ontarian. Oh yeah, I guess it is. So Liam, do you make those up, or or do you, I mean, I know yeah. you're an Uber nerd too, so maybe you just know those. But no, I made those are all made up. I have a list. I made the list in one night, and it's we're only maybe ten percent of the way through. Okay, um, so that... there was talks of releasing it as Patreon content. Yes. I, I assume we haven't done that yet. I have not. Okay, maybe maybe Uncle Terry's anime collection gets those... listed, but are yeah. the goods right there okay <laughs> I, I actually demand you you find that list and give us two by the end of this interview okay <laughs> two by the end of the episode i can i can bring them up right now it's just a google doc here it is oh um so i'll tell you one of my favorite ones that i never got to uh i got to say specifically because i actually did anime voiceover for a while for a, a show called card fight vanguard um, <laughs> oh my god and so this i have one call it's all caps it's a uh, card shout <laughs> uh, <and> then, <laughs> so there's card shout card shout sakura card shout ultimate and then card shout versus sword symposium xl <laughs> that's amazing yeah. that's so that's so fun that's great that's the funnest stuff to make like that's like very like me coming up with panic energy drink flavors uh that's it's just like you're like i could literally do just this and never finish the game like maybe i could sell this list instead like <laughs> um okay glenna i want to circle back to music yeah i want to know about paul the ape woman i forget if the name paul the ape woman comes from something in the game or if or or not i, I don't remember but i want to know about the name mm -hmm. i'd be reminded i also want to know um was bringing music into this actual play something you wanted to do from the beginning and you sort of like made sure your character would be able to accommodate that or did you get that idea like partway into play or like while creating the character yeah so i was trying to come up with cool girl band names for your personal like just not for the game but just for for you uh no for for oh. elliot specifically oh, okay yeah um because i knew i wanted her to be a singer songwriter and I wanted okay. to kind of like what Liam was doing. I was like, oh, let's let's come up with cool fake band names that she likes. And I would I would like come up with something and Google it to make sure it wasn't a real band. And uh, that's how we got Elvira Entwistle. That's how we got Wife of Bath. And that's how yes. we got Paula the Ape Woman. Cool. And where Paula the Ape Woman came from. Uh, so here's a little history on me. I'm uh, I did my master's thesis while we were. Uh, in the midst of recording this podcast. And wow, I congrats. studied horror. I studied horror movies. And that's when I discovered that the earliest female movie monster from Universal was an ape woman named Paula. Amazing. From a, a movie called Captive Wild Woman. And it's essentially... Uh, right. The song is named after it. And yep. the plot of the song is the lyrics. Okay, that's <laughs> amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and, and what... Why did you want to explore music in this? Like, why, why, why'd you want to do that? Um, it's, a, it's like a, a big extra amount of work for you. 
It, so, it was. So I, I'm just curious. Yeah, I think, well, I came up with the idea of the character first. Um, and I was thinking of teenage tropes. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's always the kid with the guitar who's like yeah. wanting to be in a band and that kind of thing. And that really appealed to me. And actually, uh, when the pandemic started, I was living with Robin and Lena. And Robin, as you might know, is a guitar teacher. And so That's I was right. like, hey, Robin, teach me to play guitar. I'll pay you. And uh, he did. And we, I took lessons for like a year and a half oh, awesome. from Robin. And uh, Robin helped me write a lot of the songs. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to make it clear that it was all you. I, I guided where I could, but the yeah, all of the writing is, uh, yeah, Aww. you, you, you had, in some cases, existing songs from high school, right? Or existing poems that right. you adapted into songs? Yeah, I yeah found you my mentioned old, that, yeah. Mm-hmm, I found my old high school poetry book, uh, <sighs> Kids These Days, the one that uh, she sings in Thin Spar. Uh, if people remember that run, uh, the first verse is literally a rap I wrote for social studies class in grade 10 about globalization. Oh <laughs> what, what a like treasure trove to like find your actual like teenage stuff and bring it out and, and use it for this. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, I mean, that I guess, Robin, I want to ask you more generally about the music of um, of the show. I mean, because I know yeah. you make you wrote the whole score. And it's obviously amazing. It's been nominated for an award. So clearly yeah. it's very good. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. What I want to know is like, I know you're, you've been a musician forever and you do it for a living and that kind of thing. But have you ever written scores before or like music in this kind of like synth wavy style? Uh, I haven't heard a lot of your other music except for like, I know your, your success 5000, but it's like guitar and stuff. It's not, not this. So absolutely, yeah. Um, like weirdly enough, the, it it kind of stems from that. Uh, I have a musical comedy project called Success Five Thousand. Um, it is largely guitar and and vocals in that one because it's we we play comedy shows, not concerts for the most part. But early on, we were kind of unsure whether we were a serious band that tells jokes sometimes or a comedy act that plays guitar sometimes. Uh, uh, we're maybe leaning it. more into the serious <laughs> musician thing. Uh, and so I bought a little keyboard, uh, a micro Korg synthesizer uh, mm. in hopes of teaching Josh, my my other half in the band, to play it so that we could be like taken more seriously musically. Uh, and that, <laughs> that did not ever happen. That lasted for all. I think we used it in like three shows and it was usually... Like the the way we used it was the bit was that Josh couldn't play it, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, exactly. or could only play it very in a very limited capacity, which is an amazing bit. Like that's like that's a laugh every time, though. So <laughs> it, it resulted in me owning a pretty nice and and robust little synthesizer that I never had any reason to use for anything, yeah, because uh, I've always been uh, guitar and like. I, I sing when I have to. I've I've begrudgingly learned how to play some ukulele, but like never been a, a keys and synth guy really. Yeah. Um, I, I dropped those piano lessons uh, several months in to switch to guitar and never looked back. So this gave me an opportunity to explore this instrument that has been sitting in my closet for years and years. And I kind of set myself the challenge of like, I'm going to try and 
incorporate this like to to build the score out of the yeah. built-in sounds and patches on the synth to give it a very authentic sort of analog synth uh i guess not analog but like like uh yeah to to not just yeah. use garage band and the and the built-in voices but to actually try and incorporate some of this yeah um, absolutely isn't the i the korg micro is is analog no or i think I, it is i just yeah, don't know keyboards yeah. well enough that i didn't want to say the wrong thing and fuck it up yeah <laughs> no it absolutely is and, uh, and i mean and i will say i can tell there you I go. Can't tell, but I know a lot of people say they can tell, and it, and I bet it definitely adds something. So yeah, and I don't always like I, I do get lazy sometimes, and you know MIDI is a lot easier to oh, edit. Um, but I always try and keep at least one element of the of yeah. the microcorg in there, and it just it's been a very fun challenge to like step fully outside my comfort zone. I've done a little bit of like film scoring for largely my own projects. Uh, and yeah. it's, I've never been great at it. Um, but I've I've never done anything like this sort of this synth wavy eighties retro dream poppy stuff and yeah. uh it's been so much fun to play with really and so cool. much fun to embrace and like i feel like i've found ways to reinterpret that sound in uh so that it, it all feels connected but it all feels distinct and things like the the operablum theme and the popularia theme i'm really proud of like how different i was able to get with yes. those while still like feeling like it's all part of the same connected universe absolutely well no, the whole thing's amazing and i hope everyone knows that they can get that music um from the band camp and use it for their own games and because you've yeah. made amazing loops which is just huge because I think gaming with music adds so much, and um, but it's often hard to for people to set up. So that's like a huge, like asset. Um, Download direct from our Bandcamp, or you get it as a patron. You get them as oh, a reward if yeah, you're on Patreon. Right. Five bucks a month. Do it. Do it. Um, how how many variations of the main theme do you think you have? Because I like I hear it come through in a lot of the tracks, but do, do you know offhand like? how many it got, has to be at least half a dozen um maybe like it i think sometimes it's it's maybe in there subconsciously too um yeah. but like yeah there's definitely like the main theme and different edits of that that i use for uh fight yeah. music a lot of the time like anytime um yeah. and specifically anytime anyone rolls a six that's when the main theme tends to kick in um so there's definitely a few versions of that uh there's also like anytime something emotional or heartfelt is coming in there's a like piano uh mix of it that i was i was calling it the langus theme for a while because i was using it for all of the romance <laughs> scenes between like and angus but it mm-hmm. ultimately like blossomed out into something bigger and, and i've used it in all kinds of emotional situations oh i remember that song and i remember that moment i think that was the first time that that you used that right oh for sure yeah that was what yeah, i kind of wrote was, it for it was obviously amazing i mean i was you know, obviously, Stan Langus real hard, but um, <laughs> but maybe Stan Langus into being. I'm not. You'd have to ask I, him. And I, Blaine, I, I was but. one. I know. I know. No, a lot of peer I, pressure, you guys. I saw so. that in the Discord and was like, well, now I don't want to make it happen at all. <laughs> almost Stan Langus out of being. So such a typical teenage thing. That's like when everyone teased me in grade five about liking Sherry Peterson and then me and Sherry Peterson spent the rest of the year trying as hard as we could not to even look at each other. It's mm-hmm. the, the tragedy of my life. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, let's see. Okay. So yeah, well, the music's amazing. And um, you guys, there are, a, there are a lot of reasons you guys have every right to be one of the top tier APs um, and the music and uh, is is just the I don't know icing on the cake if you ask me. So, um, but it's a that's a huge part of it. Um, 
I want to ask about speaking, I guess, of emotional scenes like Langus. Um, I want to ask about those. You guys go there a lot and it's always amazing. Um, I find um, Lena and Michael specifically your ability to cry and it sounds very real. I'm assuming it sort of is um, uh, because it just so sounds so authentic. Um, these moments are incredible. I'm wondering how, what, how do you, how do you do that? Uh, does knowing that it's, that you have a bigger audience than just yourselves sort of give you that extra push to really sort of go there? Like the performer in you steps up or, you know, like what, what enables you to, to go there? Um, yeah. Um, perpetual sadness under the surface, you know, um, yeah, just, of course. just the, the, la- <laughs> the yeah. lake of sorrow bubbling within us all. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> big factor, big factor for sure. Uh, yeah. no, I think, um, I guess I can at least speak for myself, like, along with improv, I've, I've got a, a lot of history through acting and, and theater in that way. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, yeah, coming in and being able to commit to it. I guess it's it's something that we sort of touched on before with the aspect of it's not just, we're not just playing the game with each other. We are, we are trying to put on a show. And yeah. I, I guess it's the same energy we bring into any performance, whether it's on stage or, or trying to film sketches or anything like that like being able to set yourself aside commit into the moment and then once you've lived through that moment step back out of it and and like being able to sort of disconnect those two so it doesn't even though you are allowed to get into these places and and explore that emotion and stuff you're not doing it in such a way that it hangs over you and it Suddenly, yeah. you've, you've ruined your day because you had the, a real kick-ass scene. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think they call that like, bleed a lot in the role-playing scene. Mm. It's like when you, mm. yeah, when when your character sloshes over into you and you like have to like have some like aftercare and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I was wondering, like, I, yeah, I was curious. And Lena, I want you know, want to hear from you. But, like, yeah, what what's your? I don't know. I don't know a lot of actory terms, but I know a lot of actors have like a process or something like that but it sounds like it's just about for you michael like just letting yourself fall into that moment yeah some of that and also knowing that like the people that i'm working with like i i am in a space where i feel safe to to go to those points mm-hmm. and do those things yeah and, and that's the, right. the debutants this group we've they're always so incredibly supportive and all that and it's it, it's just it's even if you get into these moments that are sad and you go through it once you come out of the finish line it's just like whoa that was really cool, and it's it's a joy to get to, <laughs> yeah. to have these moments and and play to those extents. Yeah. yeah, you know, not they're not like rolling their eyes or like thinking you're weird for doing that. They're like they're like stoked that yeah. you're like bringing that to the to the the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Lena, what about you? I I know some of Angus's moments just honestly broke my heart. And I and so much of it has to do with your performance as Angus, especially when you do this thing where you like you can you can tell you're like work you're like fighting back the tears in like such a mm-hmm. teenage boy way. Um, it's really good. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> Thank you. Um, I feel like the best way I can answer this is to just sort of like go into like my my like process and mindset, I guess, when I'm thinking about these specific scenes. <laughs> uh, once upon a time, when I was a, a, a little sweet baby, 
uh, uh, fresh-faced child uh, doing acting, I thought I could never do comedy. Um, now it's wow. all I do. <laughs> um, and the reason I think I, I've been able to come this far and be like, no, like comedy is my thing, is it has such strong roots in truth. Yep. Um, and I think for a long time I was like, oh, comedy is just being silly. It's just silly jokes to make people laugh and it doesn't really matter, but it matters so much. And the truth is where you can get so much comedy yeah. and, of course, so much pathos. Yeah. Um, and the truth about Angus is he is an angsty, angsty boy. Uh, <laughs> he's got he's got a lot of conflict. He's got a lot of pain. And, and, and a lot of shame too like, yeah it's uh, i would say that that's his almost driving emotion for a lot of these scenes is he's he hates himself in in ways right and, totally and absolutely yeah yeah um and you know when you're a teenager when you're 16 all of those emotions are ramped up to 11 and yeah. like factor in this conflict inside him that he's gone years not resolving and yeah. and it can lead to a lot of yeah a lot of really sort of heavy stuff and like michael said it's not the kind of thing that i as a player want to get bogged down in but i want to be true to that as i perform it um and like <laughs> fun question mark anecdote um <laughs> Uh, I think one of Angus's biggest downtime scenes was his redemption arc yep. when he came home. And this speaks to the level of of trust I have in this group. That scene took me three tries. <laughs> that was the scene, the scene in this last episode? No, in oh. um, it was at the end of New Year's. Oh, yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. That took me three tries to do. There were a number of different factors at play that were going on with Lena mentally. Um, and also a little bit of like not really knowing exactly how to click the scene together and how to make it work. Wow. So maybe some of that like bled through in that performance. Yeah. But but my my friends made that space for me. Yeah. And I figure if it's difficult for me, it's got to be difficult for this 16 year old kid. Yeah, and for sure. And we managed to find it. And I'm really glad that we did yeah no absolutely and i mean i don't know if this is your your experience but i know um i've had experience with the characters where we're having them a lot of times i'm working through my own issues through this character right um and mm. it's like you know this guy's all about killing orcs but it's actually an exploration of like you know my fear of death or whatever right so so yeah i think going to those places is hard but it's like makes obviously for a an amazing um like story and um <laughs> i'm sure you also get other things from it yourself too mm -hmm. i think i think in that particular case because i don't know how much i do that but that scene was probably uh definitely me being like why can't i get this scene yeah. frustration scene <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right um well i mean you talked about having trust um you know with your crew here and so i guess one of i'm getting to the end of my questions here but one of my last questions is um well you guys are actually a crew too you know i know you've been doing this together for years can you guys go into the sort of history of how you how you guys how this crew formed and what are some of your, I guess, bonds <laughs> that have kept you together this whole time? I'm sure 
like making all these projects together, there've got to be lots of highs and lows and fractures and all sorts of stuff um, <laughs> at times. But, but like, yeah, what are those bonds? Like what, what keeps you together? Any advice for how to keep a gaming group together or any other group, um, <laughs> um, artistic, uh, creative group together through the ups and downs? I mean, some of us are married, so you could marry yeah. one of them. And <laughs> no, that, I know that makes it harder yeah. to makes it harder to stop playing <laughs> games together because you're, you're married now. Yeah, that's right. That's my advice: Mar- marry one of your gaming partners. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked out great for me, so I, I can't DM, recommend it enough. Here. Honestly, so, yeah. maybe it ties back to that thing I was saying at the beginning about like everyone's working towards the same goal. Like we as yeah. a like everyone is enthused to be doing this. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone. Um, yeah. In the same way that we we are currently working on a fringe show that we are all yeah. uh, working on together, chipping in, taking different roles, taking different jobs. We've been part of a sketch group for years. The the yeah. ding dang pandemic uh, ruined the variety show we used to run that you oh, like you can't perform on many, many times. Um, but uh, that's kind of where that it, like <laughs> the energy we were putting into releasing or to producing a bi weekly sketch comedy variety show basically got channeled into this when the yeah. pandemic yeah. hit like yeah. it just... and now and if, it, if i have to pick one or the other i i, I don't know what i want now because i love both of those <laughs> i love both of those things so you can drink um, during odd wednesday you can't really drink in podcast that's uh. true yeah okay one point odd wednesday we're not allowed um, to drink while we podcast <laughs> oops we're gonna have to restart okay um how did you guys all all meet I mean, I know like probably different ways, right? Like, I mean, I know some of you guys are married, etc. But like <laughs> Liam, Ni- Liam, Nick Furyed a bunch of us together. Liam uh, went around the Edmonton comedy scene and was like, "I'm putting together a uh, crew uh, of of comedians to perform sketch because." nobody's doing that and i want to do that nobody had done sketch comedy before we started doing it. <laughs> yes. it famously edmonton a, a sketch yeah. comedy barren wasteland yeah yes. uh, but no there yeah. was liam wanted to put together a sketch crew and and kind of went around and cherry picked a bunch of people from the comedy scene and uh Amazing. over the years that went through several inter- iterations uh people came people went Lena, yep. Dave, and I are original members um glenna and michael we met later and and were yeah. I, I think you all met through improv, right? Yes. Yeah, Liam and I met doing improv way back in 2012. Have been doing improv together with the same company ever since. That's awesome. Eventually, Michael and then Glenna joined uh, our ranks, and Dave was a part of the improv group for a while as well for quite a long time. Is that the group um, that so did D and D improv? Yes. Yeah. D&D. It's, yeah. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Productions doing YG D and D. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. That's cool. Michael and I went to high school together also. That's how yeah. we met. <laughs> Aw, awesome. And also, technically, uh, Lena and I, we also did a show, what, 2014? Sure like, 2014. The, the classic Edmonton art scene where yeah. you'll always know someone somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave I met doing stand-up. Like, I, yeah, know, right. I met yeah. Dave in stand-up. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I met both of you guys through stand-up as well, yeah. Yeah, and that's how I, I know you and Dave as well, Liam, so... Well, that's sort of, sort of how I met all of you, I guess, eventually. So. Lena and I pretended to fall in love in a movie and then accidentally did for real. <laughs> yeah. Was Whoops. it the movie that I did the rap for? Yes, it, was. it was, Mikey! Wow. Mikey wrote a 90s rap song oh, for the credits of is, our movie. That is the hottest thing I've ever been a part of. That's great. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, this is great. Um, I my last question is: I've been told I'm just getting the cue card now that <laughs> I'm allowed to ask what's happening for season two. 
and I I'm on pins and needles myself. I I will say I don't actually no, this is not a ruse. I don't know anything about what's happening in season two. I've heard strange whispers. I've been asked strange questions by some of you that I, I don't know factor in at all. But um, I'm very excited. Can you can can what what can you tell me? Yeah, can I can I take this gang? Is that cool? Please, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, because we yeah we've been playing very coy about it. Uh, not because we've like known for months and we're just waiting for the exact right time to reveal it because we genuinely had a very hard time sorting out what we wanted to do. Um, we love these characters. We weren't sure if we wanted to see more and continue their stories. We love this game system, but we also have a lot of interests and we, uh, there, were, there were questions about, yeah, should it be the same crew? Should it be the same game system? Should it be the you same You love GM? this game system, but you've also played all close to 50 sessions of it now. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there were, there were a lot of questions and it just like, there are so many good options and every time someone would come with a new pitch and be like, well, what if we did this? And what if we attacked it from this angle? It just like added to this ever growing Google doc of like, that's also great. That also feels like it would be really fun to do. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is we've got material for many, many seasons to come yet because it was really, really hard to, to narrow it down. But, uh, but we have, we finally, uh, kind of all made our pitches and did a did a vote uh, and I am excited to announce for for you here Mikey and for all the listeners out there uh, that next season we will be continuing to play Slug Blaster with a brand new crew. Ooh. It will take place in a brand new dimension and I'm going to play coy on that one still but it it, it will ah. not be taking place in Hillview and finally we'll have a brand new GM at the helm uh, so I'm going to throw it over to Lena Anderson. Our Yo. new GM for season two. Oh my two. goodness. I'm going to be the Slugmaster Game Blaster this time around. <laughs> yes. And I'm very excited about it. Amazing. Okay. And you, you can't tell me anything, Lena? Like, come on. Like, after all I said and all the <laughs> nice things I said to you, you're just going to... What can I say? Are there three... Give me three um, three mood board words that to three describe... Three mood board words? To describe the, oh. upcoming, the upcoming season. I love just that. Just <laughs> with that. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Three mood board words. While you think about that, I want to ask Robin, how are you feeling about passing this baton and getting to play? How am I feeling about passing the GM mantle over to Lena? Fantastic. Yes. I, I couldn't be more thrilled. I can't wait to play this game. Lena has told me some of their ideas for the next season and... We, we voted and I had a pitch for what I would do, but I didn't want it to be me I, because I'm so excited to play what Lena is bringing to the table here. Um, so uh, how am I feeling about that? 100% confident and thrilled and excited. How am I feeling about having to uh, do improv and not be able to pre-plan any of it? Terrified. Absolutely <laughs> fucking terrified. Uh, but, but also excited. Are you generally the GM when you play like just like hobby wise like not really but but i also like so i i have a lot of experience gaming i don't have a lot of experience uh performing as an improviser i've always been very yeah. like uh, i like to script and i like to plan and i like to revise and i like yeah. to have an idea of where it's all going uh so improv terrifies me a bit but i'm gonna be leaning on that gaming experience to carry me through you are a great game master and not because of your prep uh, it the catch for the robin's catchphrase is yeah and <laughs> that says everything about how good you are at i love that or beautiful I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So I think you're going to do just fine. It's it's beautiful. I love that. And impossibly large. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, but like GMing Slug Blaster is not, is anything but improv free. You're, you are basically a consequence generator that has to like at all times be ready to like come up with some juicy story moment. I would just say, I think that is way harder than playing. I think you'll be okay because I mean, many people have said that blades in the dark is one of the hardest games to GM and Slugblaster is, I did my best to like provide a few more tools, but it's still very hard. So I think you're, I think you're going to be great. Oh, uh, yeah. You're going to be a great player. <laughs> I'm so excited to see you play and I'm so excited to see Lena take this thing. This is great. I know a lot of you um, have are also GMs. Maybe all of you have also GM'd things. So I knew that that was a possibility, but this is now, nah, I'm excited. So yeah, <laughs> Lena, w- w- you got three words? I got three words. I think I'm going to go with just like a, 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 a central sort of idea that yes. this has built off of. So uh, it might feel vague, but I it will definitely come into play in season two. Um, so the three words are... Expand, Ooh. adapt, rehabilitate. Ooh. Ooh, interesting. Well, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm so curious to see what you do to see if this, if this second season, how it ties into the first, if at all. If we got kind of a, if if it's going to be more of a um, American horror story um, scenario, uh, what's happening? Um, I'm I'm very excited. Um, and all of those episodes are being e- emailed to me right now, right? That you've, you've already recorded them all and I have them. So. Oh yeah. We're on season seven. Oh, perfect. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah, if, if you yeah. folks out there uh, are sure to go out on all the different social media platforms to follow at quantum kickflip, uh, you'll be sure mm-hmm. to get all of the updates about season two there. Absolutely. Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Instagram. TikTok. And are are there any things you want to plug in terms of where people can find info about the game, where they can support it, uh, community yeah. connections and stuff like that? Of course, yeah. Uh, if you go to slowblaster.com, it will probably redirect you to the itch page where you can pre-order the game. If you're on Discord, you gotta you gotta join the Discord. It's a pretty fun little group. There's some like play by posts starting up in there. Um, all sorts of stuff. People do hacks. People there's a quantum kickflip channel. People can. Um, but yeah, just um, pre-order the game because I'm very, I'm very, very, very proud of it. And um, I'm completely over my budget. And I would love to sell some games so that my wife won't be mad at me when she sees our bank account. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, th- thanks so much, everyone, for answering all my nerdy fan questions again you should be all be really proud of yourselves um i'm proud as punch um about this actual play um it's just amazing um i'm every anytime someone asks me like oh subgrash that sounds cool is there like an actual play or something i'm like oh is there (laughs) and it's just the most fun link to send so um yeah uh i yeah thank you so much um and for all the play testing and everything I'm so excited for the next season and just so happy to be a part of um, what you guys are doing here in whatever way I am. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for making a great game. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Thank you.